In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. God willing, today we're going to continue our series about the Holy Scriptures. Um, of course, we understand the very importance of the Scriptures, as we have said, because it is God's words to us, and we want to understand them according to how He wants us to understand. Um, but when you have a, a document that is written, um, it's possible for people to misunderstand. It's possible for people to read it, think that it means something different than what it actually means. And we find ourselves, you know, having this problem all the time, not just with the Bible, but with any kind of document. You might have more than one person read it, and they come to come very different conclusions about what it means. And that's even when you have a document that's written in our current age by modern people that we can relate to easily in a culture that's, you know, in our culture. Even then, when people write something, we might misunderstand what they mean. So when you have something that is written a long time ago in a very different culture, um, and it's also something that's divine, it's not, it's not just a book speaking about current events and things that happen around us that is easy to relate to. It is something that is revealing the hidden mysteries of God, right? How is it that we can read it and all come to the same conclusion? Actually, um, when the Protestant Reformation happened, Martin Luther... Um, he rejected the idea of the interpretation of that, that came through holy tradition, meaning the interpretation that came through the church fathers and the historical understanding of the Bible um, as the early church understood it from the very beginning. He, he rejected that. His view was that um, any person, any genuine, sincere person who reads the scripture would all come to the same exact conclusion about what it means. That was truly his belief. But very, very quickly, after the time of the Protestant Reformation, all of these different denominations of Christianity began to um, develop uh, because there was not consensus on what it means. You know, like the, 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 the Catholic Church introduced, uh, understood it one way. Martin Luther understood it a different way. John Calvin understood it a different way. Uh, another man, his name is Zwingli, he understood it a different way. And all these different people began to say, well, no, my way is the right way. Well, how do you know it's the right way? Also, while we like to believe that our interpretations of Scripture are um, based completely on unbiased, objective thinking, um, unfortunately, a lot of times we read into the Scripture what we want to read into it. Like we read into it what we wish and hope is true and what makes sense to us according to our maybe experience and our understanding and our desires. And we say, oh, this must be what it means right? Because it can't mean this or this or this. So again, that's a bias. It's hard for us to, to, to read it and know. So when we read the scripture, it's important for us to have a reference, right? How is it we can understand what it's meaning? Some things are clear, very clear and obvious, but there are also some things that sound clear and obvious that different people don't under interpret the same. For instance, when, when the Lord Jesus Christ says, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no life in you, right? To me, that sounds like it's a very clear statement. It's like if you want to have life, you eat the body and drink his blood. Okay? It's a sacrament, right? Whereas many people read that same passage and they will interpret it differently. You know, there are some passages in scripture that speak about like how homosexuality is sin. Other people will read that same scripture and say, no, the, the word homosexual is not translated the right way. It actually means something else, right? So how do we know? Like how do we know when all these different voices, all these different people are coming to claim that there is truth and how where does the truth it's according to their opinion right how do we find it and so this is where we have the importance of biblical interpretation reading the bible is of course necessary 
and, and we should all read it. But we read it with an understanding of the church, with the mind of the church, with the mind of the fathers of the church. Because this is, as Orthodox, this is how we interpret the scripture. We interpret the scripture through the lens of the early church. That whatever it is that the early church received from Christ, and whatever it is that they practiced, and whatever it is they wrote about, this is the understanding of the faith, and this is the same practice and the same faith that we have today. Even if our modern minds would read a passage of scripture and think, oh, Maybe it means this. Well, no. What did the early church think it means? What did the early church know that it means? And how did they live it in their lives? That's how we also believe and how we also live. So the Bible needs interpretation. In Nehemiah chapter 8, it says the Levites helped the people to understand the law. So they read distinctly from the book and the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Even back then at the time, the, the scriptures that were written, the, the, the books of Moses, right, that were written, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, right? It says the Levites helped the people to understand. Even back then, the people would read the book. It's like, well, what does it mean? How do I apply it? Well, what is the way that the God wants me to apply these words, right? How, what is the practical meaning of them? Well, the Levites helped the people to understand. Um, also, when the Lord Jesus Christ was walking when he was he he was he was with these two disciples that were walking um, on the road after his resurrection, okay, and they did not recognize who he was, but he was walking with them, and so he began to speak about himself, and speak about how all of the Old Testament scriptures, and prophecies were fulfilled in him. Okay, they didn't know he was Christ, but he was speaking about how all these Old Testament scriptures, these Old Testament scriptures that had been written thousands of years ago. And that all of the people knew, all the people had read, they were very familiar with. And yet, they did not understand that all of them were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So when, when Jesus Christ was crucified, of course, it was uh, confusing. Like, we thought, we thought you were the Messiah. How are you the Messiah? Well, let me tell you, okay? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Which means what? That without that exposition... Without him explaining it, they wouldn't have understood, right? Even though the scripture was plainly there in front of them to read, and they all read it, and the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers and, and, and all the teachers of the law, and everybody read the same scriptures. But none of them got this message. None of them understood until the Lord Jesus Christ explained it. He now explained it with, with knowledge and wisdom to, in a way that now they can connect everything together, and they understood what exactly the scriptures were saying. So what is the role of the biblical interpretation. Holy Scripture is capable of being understood clearly, provided that it is read as a whole. So that's the first point. For us to understand anything that's in the Bible, we have to read it all. Because if you read only one part of it, we misunderstand because we don't necessarily understand the context or we understand who it has been written to or why, right? We have to read it all. Because you might find things that say one thing here, and then seemingly in other places, it's saying something different, right? How do we understand that? How do we look at this and, and reconcile it with this? Well, the answer could be in the emphasis. Maybe Christ was emphasizing something or teaching here versus here. The people, who are you speaking to? For instance, when Christ was speaking to Gentiles, or when the apostles were speaking to Gentiles, and, and they told them, how is it that you have to be saved? They said, believe. Right? How, how is it that, that we should, that should we say, be saved? He said, they said, believe. Why? Because 
to believe is the next step necessary for you to be saved because right now you're not a believer at all. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. That's what they would say. But speaking to someone who was already a believer, someone like the rich young ruler who came to Christ and says, what should I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? What is it that Christ said? Christ didn't say believe. He said, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and carry your cross and follow me. He didn't mention believing at all. Well, because this man presumably already believed because he was coming to Christ and he was asking him this question, right? So if someone were to take one of those verses in isolation, if you look at the verse just for the rich young ruler, when someone says, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And he said, go sell all that you have and come and follow me. Taken literally, that would mean that in order for us to be saved, we have to literally sell all that we have, right? And give it to the poor. Someone could design an entire religion about that verse alone and say this is what actually is necessary for all of us, right? Someone else might look at the other verse and take that verse out of context and say, look, the Lord Christ actually, he said, all you have to do is believe. Once you believe and are baptized, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter if you do good works. It doesn't matter whether you serve people. It doesn't matter whether you worship. It doesn't matter whether you partake of sacraments. It doesn't matter at all. Because here, look, the Lord said, all you have to do is believe, right? The apostles said, all you have to do is believe. So unless you read the whole thing and understand what you're reading, and why is it that the Lord said one thing here and the apostles said this here and the context of it all, you won't have an accurate picture of the word of God. And so reading the whole thing is important. One of the benefits of when we read in the like, writings of the church fathers is because they have an understanding of the whole thing. And when they give you an explanation, they explain it with that knowledge and understanding of the whole thing. However, controversy over the interpretation of certain passages was inevitable. Heretics can make Holy Scripture say more or less anything they like. And actually the word heresy means pick and choose. To pick and choose is heresy. Because you will find almost any justification for anything at all if you look in the right place. You can find something that supports whatever radical view that you want because you're reading things out of context and without understanding. For this reason, the tradition of the church is of considerable importance as it indicates the manner in which Holy Scripture has been received and interpreted within the church. So if we want to really understand the Bible, we can't just read the Bible only. We have to read the Bible along with the interpretation of what it means. Again, there are some things that are very clear, and then there's some things that are less clear. But as I said, even the things that appear very clear, some people will come and they will interpret it to mean something contrary. St. Athanasius, who argued that Arius's Christological mistakes would never have risen if he had remained faithful to the church's interpretation of Holy Scripture. You know, Arius was a heretic who came and he said that the, the, the Son, Christ, was, was, a, was a created being. He wasn't coessential with the Father. He wasn't eternal with the Father. He wasn't of the same essence as the Father. But he was created by the Father, right? So this was a heresy. And he's saying, like, if... if how does these, these heresies come up? Because people begin to question um, and begin to come up with their own interpretation of things that are already established, things that the church has already discussed, things that are already accepted in the church and that is taught and we all accept and believe. And then one person comes and says, wait a minute, how, how about this verse over here? How about this thing over there? And they begin to philosophize. And accept, instead of just accepting what has been understood and what, what has been received by the church through holy tradition, they begin to question everything. And this, sadly, is our current state <laughs> now. 
the, the academic mind that seeks to question all things, which works really well in science because science is the, the inquiry. It's an inquiry. It's not just accepting things. It's asking questions and trying to discern new truths that we've never known before through scientific discovery, which is fine, which is good. That's what science does. But when you try to apply the same principles to, to the Christianity, that's when it all falls apart. Because Christianity is not about discovering new things. Christianity is about taking what has been delivered to us and living it and passing it on, right? So if you come with that academic mind and thinking, right, to Christianity, you will find many times, like Arius, that we fall into heresy. Tradition is thus seen as a legacy from the apostles by which the church is guided and directed toward a correct interpretation of scripture. The holy tradition, part of the holy tradition is the understanding of scripture. What is it that scripture is saying? And when you go back to the practices of the first century church, and you see that the, the first century church that existed even while the apostles were alive, practiced and believed a certain thing. You have to believe and know that if those churches were not doing the right thing or didn't understand scripture the right way, then they would have been corrected. I mean, if you, if you read the epistles in the New Testament, St. Paul, for instance, he's always correcting the churches. He's saying, you know, do this, don't do this, and so on. He's correcting them, and he received his instruction directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. So the apostles received the faith from Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in their ministry, established the churches, taught this faith to the people. The people lived it out and practiced it, and all the subsequent generations of the church fathers that came after that expounded upon that very understanding and interpretation, and that became tradition. That became how we understand, how we practice, what we believe. Even if you might read a verse in the scripture, and one person would interpret it one way, another would interpret it a different way. But now when we have all these writings, we say, no, this is how the church understood it to mean. This is what it was intended by this writing. In the 16th century, Martin Luther paved the way for the current chaotic state of Western Christians. He introduced his doctrine of sola scriptura, which is Latin for scripture alone, as a reaction to the distorted concept of tradition found in the Roman Catholic Church at the time. He argued that every individual had the right to interpret scripture as he or she pleased without adhering to tradition. And this became a big problem, okay? There was some corruption in the Catholic Church at the time, and out of some legitimate desire of reform, uh, there was this desire to, to, to change. But the change threw away the whole thing. It didn't just reform. It, doesn't, it didn't just reform the things that had f you know, been corrupted. It essentially took the whole thing and threw it away and said, let's start again. Let's start completely over. Everything that we understood about the church prior to now, let's just delete it as though it never occurred. And let's just read the Bible with fresh eyes. Fresh eyes so that nothing of what was expounded, nothing of what was interpreted, nothing of what was practiced, nothing of what was said has any bearing at all. We are just going to read it now in the 16th century. We're going to read it now and we're going to just, whatever, whatever we believe it to say, that's what we will do, Right? And, of course, that became a big problem because, as I mentioned, everyone now began to practice different things. There was no consensus on what it actually meant, on what is it that we should actually do. So he gave everybody this freedom, okay, to interpret Scripture apart from tradition. There was no tradition. Tradition didn't matter to him. So this sola scriptura, meaning the, the understanding of the Christian, the way the Christian lives is to come from Scripture alone, meaning just 
our interpreted understanding of reading scripture apart from tradition, apart from anything else. And that each individual could do this themselves with the understanding, again, that he assumed that we would all come to the same conclusion and have the same agreement. You know, I, I mentioned this before, but, you know, to the point where there were some books in the Bible that he found offensive, that he felt contradicted other books, like the, the, the Gospel of St. James, for instance. Um, he said, St. James places such emphasis on the importance of good works, and it contradicts what he interpreted St. Paul to be saying, right? And so what was his conclusion? His conclusion was, well, let's just not include James in the Bible at all, right? That's what he wanted to remove the book of the Bible because it contradicted his understanding because his understanding was incomplete, right? So he, that's, that was his conclusion, right? Of course, in the end, it wasn't removed, but that's what he wanted to do, yes? So we use the, yeah. So so we, we, we use the tradition in two ways. When, when you say tradition with a lowercase t, it's like tradition. Like we have a tradition of singing certain hymns in the church or we have a tradition of doing some certain practice. Like we have a tradition of having the harvest meeting after the liturgy. That's a tradition, man-made tradition, right? doesn't have to be so. But then we make the distinction between that and what we call the Holy Tradition with a capital T. The Holy Tradition is everything that was passed down from Christ to the apostles that was not directly written in the Bible, right? Like in the, in the last ch chapter of the Gospel of John, John says that Christ did all these things and said all these things that were outside of what was written. And he said, if everything he did or said would to be written, then there wouldn't be enough room in all the world for all the books that would be written. Or if you read in many, uh, like the epistles of St. John, he says, and when I come to you, I will tell you more. Like when I come to you, I will explain more, right? But that was never written, right? So the idea is, is that there is tons and tons and tons of things that Christ did and said and the other apostles and so on that was not written in the Bible, right? The Bible is a collection of certain uh, letters and books that were written by certain people, but it doesn't record absolutely every significant event or every important thing that happened, right? So there is a lot of exposition and interpretation and more understanding that we can have through the sayings of the early church, the other writings of the church, and so on. Especially when it comes to, I mean, as far as what we're discussing here, the, the explanation of what the Bible actually is saying in cases where it might be Ambiguous. So that's the distinction: is the lowercase t tradition and the uppercase t tradition. I mean, I think the that word, the best English translation of it was tradition which is why that was used, but the distinction, again, is whether it's like the capital or the lowercase. That's my understanding, anyway. Uh, yes? Yes? 
No, we believe that the, the fullness of the faith was communicated to us, whether it through the, the, the Bible, like the written scripture, or through the tradition. We believe the fullness of the faith. Now, that doesn't mean that every single event was communicated. Like, obviously, like when Christ lived, for instance, Christ lived for 33 years. We really don't know anything, barely, about what happened with him prior to the beginning of his ministry. There are some stories of things, like some very like spectacular things that people say that even happened to him when he was a child. But we don't have that knowledge, right? But that, I would say, is more just subject to our curiosity, as opposed to being like, this is what you need to know for the faith. As far as the faith and what we believe and what we are called to practice, everything was given to us by God. As far as every single event, no, obviously we don't know every event that happened. Even even during the three years when Christ was like, like if you r- r- think about it, if you tried to document every single thing that a person said or did, you know, it would be a gigantic, right? So no, we don't have everything, but we have the things that are necessary for our salvation. Yeah. Yes. So, so the, the, the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit and infallible, right? This is what we've been talking about, the scripture. So the scripture, the author of the scripture is the Holy Spirit. Everything else, even though it might be true, is not considered infallible. So, for instance, there are church fathers that have different opinions about things, right? They don't all say 100% the same thing. But then we, 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 we look at the consensus, like there is a consensus like like what do the majority of the fathers understand this to mean uh, and sometimes different fathers are like speaking in contemplations and meditations and having different ideas and whatnot but if we really want to understand definitively like how does the church understand a certain thing you look at the consensus so no we don't believe that the church fathers are infallible right we don't believe that they're infallible in their life meaning in the way they conducted their life they committed sin like any other person and we don't believe that Everything they wrote is infallible. Actually, St. Augustine, he had many writings. And then later on in his life, he wrote something that was essentially correcting all the mistakes that he had written prior. Okay? So it's like, you read this, it's like, here are all the things that I did wrong and I said wrong and whatnot. So no, we don't believe that any writing of the Church Fathers is infallible. That's why even when we read the Church Fathers, we, we have an alert mind and we say, okay, does this fit with what I already know? But as I said, there is a consensus. And the more that we read, like it's called the mind of the fathers. How do we develop the mind of the fathers, which is how the fathers saw these different subjects and understood these different subjects. And then once we have that, the moment we read something that is like doesn't fit into that, then we can immediately say, no, this isn't this isn't right. This isn't what we believe. Yes. You guys are going to have to start using microphones. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I know all your questions are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't want to use the word infallible because I want to reserve the word infallible for just the scripture because the author of the Bible is the Holy Spirit. So only God can do something that's infallible. Okay? 
the tradition is something that develops over time. And there might be different, I'll give you an example. Like in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, they accept the book of Enoch as canonical, as part of the scripture. Whereas in the Coptic Church, we do not accept it. So the, the, the fathers of the Ethiopian Church looked at this book and they said, no, this was inspired by the Holy Spirit and part of the canon of the Bible and infallible. We looked at it and we said, no, it's not. It's useful to read, but we don't consider it to be infallible. And so there's a difference there, right? So who is right, right? I, if, if we say that it's infallible, right, then there can be no movement at all. Another thing that's included, say, in tradition is like the canons. The canons are also not infallible. And the canons actually are not even like, they are not absolute. So you might have a period of time where a certain canon applied because it was created to deal with a certain issue. And then later on, um, we don't use that canon anymore. We don't apply that canon anymore. So I hesitate to use the word infallible, but it is an understanding of the church that was delivered to us by Christ, okay, um, as it's extra biblical outside of the Bible to help us understand the Bible, okay? And yes, we believe that it is true, okay? We believe that it is true, and we believe that this is what we abide by, and that these are the teachings of Christ. Uh, the only reason I hesitate to use the word infallible is because it's possible for people to have different views and opinions about things, and possible for different Orthodox churches to believe differently about things. Yes, when it comes to the ways of salvation, yes, we believe that what we understand is the truth. And this is, this is there, there's no question of that. There's no question of that. There could be other things here and there that people have various opinions about, but the ways of salvation, actually Christ made it clear and the early church made it clear how we understand and practice and interpret what Christ said about all of these ways of salvation. Yes, yeah. Well, again, interpretation of the Bible when it comes to the ways of salvation, yes. But even when you read like different church fathers, like if you like there's a really nice website and it's an app as well, and I would recommend you you look into it. It's called Katina, C A T E N A. And um and it what it does is essentially the whole Bible, and for every version of the Bible, you click on the verse and it'll show you all of these writings of the church fathers about about it. So you'll start reading, and you have St. Augustine and St. Chrysostom and St. Ambrose and all these saints. When you read what they said, yes, most of the time, everything they say kind of lines up with one another. But every once in a while, like one person will interpret this event to be this, and another one will interpret to be something else. In the end, in the bigger picture, it doesn't change the, the, the ways of salvation, the most important things about the faith. They're just opinions. So what I'm saying is like the church fathers are not infallible, and they are giving their opinions about things and their understanding right um but when it comes to like what christ intended for salvation yes there everyone is in agreement everyone we consider to be a, a father is in agreement the ones that interpret things outside of that scope we we go be, we, we don't even consider them to be fathers of the church if they are if they are believe in something that is contrary to the mainstream orthodox understanding for salvation we might call them a scholar or a teacher right like tertullian tertullian was a heretic i mean he, he believed in a and a heresy called Montanism, okay? Um, but he wrote many useful things. And so we quote him, and we, uh, we read things of his, but, but we know that there are things he said that is wrong, okay? Origen is another example. Origen had all kinds of heresies that he taught. 
Um, but he also said many things that were useful and beneficial, and so we quote the useful and beneficial things, right? Um, there is a man whose name is Eusebius of Caesarea, okay? He was also a heretic, but he wrote many, many useful things when it comes to the history of the church to understand, like, historical events that happened and so on, and so we, we read that for that. So even among these writers themselves, we have a, a view of, like, let's take the good, but the things that we are rejecting, the things that it's like only their voices who's saying this, contrary to everyone else, no, we recognize that this isn't, this isn't what we believe. So it's not all or nothing. Okay. Running out of time now. Okay. <laughs> the way was thus opened for individualism, with the private judgment of the individual raised above the corporate judgment of the church. And this is what Martin Luther introduced. He pretty much, and this is the kind of like the facetious saying, is you know he, he didn't want the pope, right? Because he was against the authority of the pope. So he made everyone a pope, right? He made every single person a pope in the sense that each person now has the full authority to judge the scripture and to interpret it however they want and to practice whatever they want. That's what he did, okay? In 1530, Sebastian Frank wrote, Foolish Ambrose, Augustine, Jerome, Gregory, of whom not even one knew the Lord. So help me God, nor was sent by God to teach. Rather, they were all apostles of the Antichrist. This is how, in this Protestant Reformation movement, that they saw the early church fathers, the people who we quote, the people who we look to for guidance, the people who were saints and lived saintly lives. How is it that they were seen? They were seen as Antichrists. Why? Because their writings and their interpretation of scripture was contrary to the individual interpretation of each person, and well, this man, Sebastian Frank, at least, um, in the 1530, right? So, so what they did is they said, you know what, we reject the authority of all of these people, and, and we substitute our own authority instead, right? And again, not even, there was not even consensus um, in that. So this is a good stopping point. Next time, God willing, we'll speak about two classical, we call them schools of interpretation of the Bible. Um, one of them is the school of Antioch, and the other one is the school of Alexandria, and, and we'll discuss the differences between them um, because we'll see different styles of understanding, how, how we expand, uh, how we expound on the Bible, how we understand things um, differently, kind of depending on um, which, which school um, each of these church fathers is in. Any other questions? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask, O Lord, for your blessings in all things. And we ask, O God, that you be with us and you protect us. And you, have us to help, uh, you help us to have a deep and, and, and well-rooted understanding of the Scripture that we would know it and understand it, O Lord, but that also we would live it. Help us to be familiar, O Lord, with our tradition and how we have received it, O Lord, over the generations and how we understand the scripture and those, O Lord, whom we can look to for guidance and understanding. Enlighten us, O Lord, with your Holy Spirit and keep us safe and pure in all things. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us an evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God, 
God and Savior Jesus Christ, the community, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.